Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to watch the extreme kung fu calamities so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined by Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Good evening. How are you doing today? I'm good. Broadcasting right in the middle of a heat wave and also right in the middle of the World Cup. But if you came here for a weather forecast or the latest results for the football, you've come to the wrong place because today we are reviewing two of the most over-the-top ridiculous, gory, drug-inducing, seizure-inducing <laughs> kung fu films that have ever been made. But before we get into that, I just want to mention the last episode that we did, if you missed it. It was a superhero spin-off episode, so we reviewed Supergirl from the 80s and Catwoman, starring Halle Berry from the, uh, the early 2000s. So if you're a big comic book superhero fan, Marvel, DC, if you like all of that stuff, you're going to want to go back and check out that episode where we review two of the worst examples of a comic book superhero movie uh, in this spin-off Form, so go back and check that out. But today, like I said, we are on a kung fu vibe. So, the first film that we are going to be uh, talking about today is from the early 80s and it's called The Boxer's Omen. It's also known as Mo, as M O. Uh, this was made by the infamous uh, Shaw Brothers uh, Hong Kong film studio, basically, the Hong Kong version of Warner Brothers. And if you see their logo, you can see they're definitely the Hong Kong version of Warner Brothers because it's exactly the same logo. It just says SB instead of WB. So clever, clever. I think this film was presented in Shaw Scope Vision. I don't know if you if you noticed that you were watching a Shaw Scope oh, film. No, I didn't see that. So yeah, early 80s, 1983. I do want to give a shout out to uh, the Hellfire Video Club, who are a bad movie, kind of cult movie um, film club here in Bristol. And they, they have their screenings uh, quite often at the Cube Cinema, a tiny little cinema here in Bristol. And that's the first place that I was made aware of The Boxer's Omen a couple of years ago. It was like a midnight double feature uh, with some other Southeast Asian witchcraft madness so that's that's where I was first introduced to it so you should definitely go check those guys out what were your first impressions of the boxer's omen Mark? oh my god I just not sure if I can put it into words to be honest it's <laughs> sort of nightmare fuel bizarre incomprehensible crazy film I've ever seen or one of the most anyway yeah um, and that's what we're going to try and do is unravel that and try to make sense of that because it's very nonsensical film. so much going on mm. I just couldn't make notes of absolutely everything mm. it just wasn't possible it was uh, directed by a guy called Chi Hung Kuei and I had a little bit of a look at his filmography out of interest on uh, on IMDb. He was also responsible for Corpse Mania. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Corpse Mania. No. Uh, Killer Constable, which sounds quite good, actually. Hex versus Witchcraft. Coward Bastard. Actually, the last film he would make would be this one. <laughs> uh, he he wasn't uh, he wasn't allowed to make any more after this one, so he went out with a bang. Yeah, uh, here with the boxes omen. But yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, the plot of this film, uh, and I'm sure everyone listening has seen the film Kickboxer with Jean Claude Van Damme. The plot of this film is the same as the plot of that film. Yeah. It is a guy whose brother is crippled at the beginning of the film, and he sets out to take revenge against the guy that did it. Even the guy in this film that cripples his brother is played by Bolo Young, who was actually in Bloodsport with Jean-Claude Van Damme in an almost identical role. 
big scary Chinese guy basically oh, and, uh, yeah yeah same guy he, he would play a heavier a villain in almost every kung fu film of the 80s but in this film he kicks the shit out of the brother of our uh, our hero who's a guy called Chan Hung the main protagonist here and yeah you, straight away you get a boxing match which I thought was quite good I didn't actually remember there being any boxing in this film <laughs> from the first time I watched it but it is in there you know, it's, it's in right there. at the start and never again <laughs> <laughs> right at the start and a little bit at the end yeah, yeah. So if you're looking for a sort of a boxing film, this isn't what this is. But uh, yeah, it's the usual slow motion, spin kicking, people spitting out far more liquid than they would ever have in their mouth <laughs> yeah then we have quite a change of, uh, of mood don't we where uh, we switch to a moody rainy apartment this was hilarious <laughs> and Chan is uh, is sort of unwinding after seeing his brother mullered in the ring his, his girlfriend bends over and just a little bit of nip <laughs> the camera just zooms in and you can just see her <laughs> breast or her shirt yeah I'm sure this director has done those sorts of films as well but this was the most um, token obligatory Scene. He he frees the nipple, all right. <laughs> he uh, he sort of picks up his girlfriend, spins her around, and just pushes her right up against the window. <laughs> and the camera shoots from the other side of the window, and we see her nipples rubbing against the <laughs> window, and it's like raining outside. We see tits squished against glass with rain in the foreground uh, maybe this is what sure scope is it's squished tits against <laughs> against glass but this is ridiculous and they moved on very quickly this was just to show that our hero is a guy like anyone else he likes to have sex and it will it will come up later in the film <laughs> the sex um, <laughs> but um, in his apartment afterwards you know post coital he sees a sort of a floating Thing. it's like a golden eyebrow if, mm. if you will <laughs> it becomes like an entity in his room yeah it turns into like this guy that talks to him he gets over that and he goes to visit his brother who's in a body cast as you can imagine and he, he vows to avenge him of course he immediately legs it to Thailand and we get the first of many sequences in the film where he decides to go somewhere and as soon as he decides it there's a shot of a plane and as soon as the plane touches down there's a shot of him flying down a river on this motorboat canoe oh, yeah. type thing and there's a lot of this in the film where, he, where he's zipping about the rivers of Thailand and he goes to confront uh, Bolo Young's character who I refer to here as Mr. Barbo Barbo and um, he's being presented with the the championship belt that he's won from from beating Chan's brother and <laughs> um, just at the crucial moment when he's got the belt in his hand Chan shouts champion that bastard <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're having a struggle and a squabble and then and, and Barbo says beat the Hong Kong guy <laughs> referring to, to Chan yeah there's a bit more ripping around Thailand on a boat and then he, he sees once again the golden arch the golden eyebrow floating around just in the middle of Thailand and it ends up on a temple and that's how he knows he has to go to this temple for some sort of reason it's like a religious calling that he means he has to go to this temple and maybe find a purpose in he the has film. been summoned he has been summoned now this begins a flashback although there's no indication that this is a flashback you only realise this later probably the weirdest sequence of events in this film or, or any other film cuts to a Buddhist monk standing in an airport with nobody around and there's another guy who we don't know who that is he chucks a little mirror at the other guy and it cuts to the guy who's turned green and he's his skin is bubbling up and he looks like he's covered in like bubble gum then he turns into an old woman yeah and a bat crawls out of her mouth. Comes out of the mouth <laughs> and flies out of the airport. 
We cut to uh, a set which is used quite a bit in the film, you know, a, a decent set of a sort of multi-handed deity statue, you know, a couple of statues and, and a god sort of demon statue in the background and every hand has got a, a, an effigy of a different animal. And then we're introduced to a guy who I don't I don't remember having a name, I just thought of him as kind of a, a sorcerer yeah. type character and I think when people Google this film it's him that comes up rather than the main character, Chan. It's not clear whether he's a, a baddie or a goodie. So this sorcerer catches the bat that flew out of the airport, drives a stake through the bat, killing it. Then he regrets it. They try to revive the bat by biting into a mouse and spitting its blood yeah. at it. So he killed the bat. And then he had to revive the bat by eating a rat. This sounds like a Dr. Seuss story. Why did he kill the bat in the first place? Maybe there wasn't a sacrifice I needed? I don't know. There yeah. wasn't really any logic behind this. He killed the bat. He ate a rat. He revived <laughs> the bat. <laughs> and then the bat revives, but really as a skeleton. Yeah. It starts very slowly running away, sort of wobbling back and forth on, yeah. on strings, maybe, which is hilarious. <laughs> Whilst this is happening, he plays a flute, which charms some snakes out of their baskets. He pulls an embalmed head out of a basket. He mixes the snake venom with the brains and feeds it to spiders. <laughs> <laughs> the strange spiders drinking, yeah. the drinking up the, the kind of now, fluid. I think the idea here was this was all designed to show you what happened to the abbot of the, of the monastery. And I think the idea is that this was a sort of a hex or a spell that was cast on him by the sorcerer who more or less fed him snake venom and brains, fed it to spiders, dropped the spiders in the temple and the spiders bit him. And that's why he's now a mummified guy sitting cross-legged. Yeah. It's like a bad acid trip. He was like poisoned, I assume. He was poisoned in an extremely convoluted way. Yeah. This sequence takes about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to show <laughs> us how the abbot of the monastery was poisoned, the character we've not even really been introduced to or care about. And then you finally get introduced by finding out that they're, they're twins. Twins in another life. Twins in another life. And that's not yeah. the same as twins, no. Mark. <laughs> it's different. Oh, God. <laughs> it's difficult to keep up with this film. He said we were twins in another life. Yeah, and then yeah. Chan says, twins in another life? Basically. Yeah. So we're led to believe that in a previous life they were twins and that now whatever happens to one happens to the other and they're kind of linked. Very roundabout sort of exposition. It took ages to say what could have been said in the sentence, probably. Mm. But we did get to see all the cool set pieces of the um, uh, the guy killing the fake bats and the fake rats and the real snakes. Not fake snakes, actually. <laughs> the snakes were real. The whole flashback is to show what happened to the abbot and the short answer is he's mummified uh, inside an urn and they smash open the urn and there he is <laughs> I was called a golden needles spell he heads back to his hotel room to un to unwind and to, to process all of this uh, this flashback now I think he is planning to go back to Hong Kong and obviously carry on with um, training but he changes his mind because in the middle of the night he wakes up and he pukes an eel into his bathroom sink <laughs> and you know what that means he needs to become a monk <laughs> the logic of this film <laughs> says the guy the, the, the people at the monastery the monks tell him he needs to become a monk and his main concern is oh, I've got to shave my head 
You're like, yes. Oh. All right, then. So we get a brief monk training montage. Endurance tests and rituals and yeah, things. Yeah, this was quite cool, actually. The trials that you had to undergo. One of the best ones, or actually one of, one of maybe about three quite good shots in the film, was when he was sitting inside a massive urn and the monks outside sort of all joined arms and sent, like, these videographic ropes like laser ropes oh, yeah. into the urn and that superheated the urn and you get this shot like from behind of him sitting cross-legged in an urn and all the writing on the inside of the urn ends up on his body yeah that was actually um, pretty cool which was really cool I think this must have been a reference to the, the Japanese film uh, Quaden and also the uh, popular WWF wrestler from the mid-90s called Hakushi Oh. If we've got any wrestling fans listening. Oh, his eyebrows come off too. To be a Buddhist monk, your eyebrows have to come oh, off yeah. as well. <laughs> so he went into the urn with eyebrows and he came out without any eyebrows. And that means you've leveled up one um, <laughs> to become a monk. Um, so I think the idea is that now he's he's taken that, he's passed that try. He's now ready to fight the sorcerer again. So I was excited. I knew we were going to have another that, another sequence with the sorcerer. Yeah. Not just that, but uh, our, our newly monked, Chan Hung was going to fight the sorcerer and I just knew there was going to be some amazing special effects and there was <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sorcerer appears surrounded by crocodile skulls and summons bats once again fake bats to come out of the crocodile skulls which was actually a really cool shot as well Chan Hung just says damn you and, and flips him the middle finger he manages to fend off the crocodile skulls which are comically snapping away at him and then sort of a massive alien green head comes out of a, a rock or a jar <laughs> I can't remember it looks like the Mekon from Dan Dare it's just this hilarious sort of extraterrestrial looking green head and it just sort of moves its lips like and then I chuck something at it and it, and it and it goes away then the sorcerer's head detaches itself now this is quite a trope believe it or not in um, mystical magical Southeast Asian films the flying head yeah. is actually quite common when I saw this film originally in the cube um, cinema the other film they had had loads of flying heads in it mm -hmm. and often the flying heads had tendrils or lungs and stuff hanging out and that is what happened here the flying head of the sorcerer had his little tentacles that wrapped around this guy's head this is kind of like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing in a way this yeah. sequence much less professionally done but uh, <laughs> around the same era and uh, there's just all sorts of stuff going on flying heads alien heads he defeats the sorcerer there you go job done you can return to Hong Kong now says the monk before he's even finished the sentence you can return to Hong Kong we cut to another stock shot of an aeroplane taking off <laughs> which is funny so there you go you would think that would be the end of the film no, no. goes on for about another 45 minutes this now. film seemed quite a bit longer than it was this it could have ended here yeah. quite satisfactorily <laughs> but it didn't so we head back to the apartment where his girlfriend's just been hanging around um, since then. We get immediate gratuitous uh, nudity again. Once again, she's just walking around the house naked and has got the shower. Now, Mark, there's, uh, there's quite an exchange here between him and his girlfriend. His girlfriend's not happy that he's been away. What's the, uh, what's the quote here? Can you, can you tell me? She says, you must have slept with lots of girls in Thailand. Don't pass me any STDs or I'll castrate you. <laughs> <laughs> It's the only quote, quote I've written down from the whole film. She's a real. She's a non-character, but she's got one of the best bits in the whole film. This the, line of dialogue. The funniest thing is, straight after that, he goes into the bathroom to have sex with her, yeah. like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. We never found out if he did have any STDs from Thailand. <laughs> you see, the stereotypes of Thailand were just as true thirty years ago as they are now. <laughs> 
if you give me an STD, I will castrate you. <laughs> I, I would like to have seen more of this. But I'll this immediately one. have sex with you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, intercut with this gratuitous shower sex scene, we basically see the cycle repeat itself with a bit more sorcery. The main sorcerer has been killed, but now three other sort of wizards or apprentice wizards, they go through this ritual. They kill a crocodile. In case the film wasn't long enough, we get about two or three minutes of stock crocodile footage. They bring in the biggest crocodile you could imagine, (laughs) which looks like it's inflatable. They grab some sort of mummy preserved in some sort of white stuff. They cut open the enormous crocodile and they put the mummy in the crocodile and they sew it back up again. (laughs) Not that long after, they reopen it and just take it back out again. Yeah. The idea being that this mummy has taken on the power of a crocodile in the sort of 45 minutes that it was in there. <laughs> it was really weird. And I, I just sort of thought at this point, oh, are we like, having another villain? You know, is, are we just starting again? Now, it felt like the film was starting again. Yeah. We're about an hour in. Mm. Uh, so I was worried. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously at this point, Chan is keen to have his big match with Barbo, which is, you know, this is the the sort of understated plot of the film is that all he, all he really wanted to do was have a fight with this guy and kick his ass for, for crippling his brother. Everything else is kind of completely unnecessary and un- unrelated, but yeah. Chan gets his, his match with Bad Bowie, agrees to fight him. At this point, we do find out that Chan has been involved in 52 fights and won all of them, yeah. which you think they would have told us earlier in the film. Like, yeah. what? Did he really need to become a Buddhist monk? If he's been in fi- won 52 fights, he could <laughs> probably beat Barbo anyway, couldn't he? <laughs> The boxing match here, the kickboxing match, is interspliced with the what I would call the crocodile goddess. She pokes out the eyes of the abbot mummy, and because they are twins in a previous life, this has an effect on Chan Hung, yeah. who becomes blinded while he's fighting. Blinded in the match, then, because the, the, the mummy of the abbot is blinded, and it's this whole they're linked because they're twins in the previous life sort of thing. But he kind of recovers. Just when they're about to throw in the towel, he recovers. He all goes a bit pro-wrestling. He, um, he kicks Babo over the top rope, and he goes through a table. <laughs> and they go, ding, ding, ding. Chan Hung is the winner. And as soon as they announce it, he sprints from the ring to the locker room to an aeroplane and then lands in Thailand immediately <laughs> he makes it from this boxing match to Thailand in about two and a half minutes I think <laughs> he gets told that if he puts this amulet in his body then he will be able to defeat Crocodile Queen I don't know if he's even aware of her at the moment they tell him to put this in your body and he says will it come out <laughs> and then they say only under severe pressure he has to have a meeting in the in the Buddhist uh, monastery before they'll let him fight. And they say, well, what did you get up to in Hong Kong? You didn't drink, did you? Hmm. No, no, no. You didn't, didn't have sex, did you? No, no, of course not. Did you? And then the fire sort of flickers, doesn't it? Yeah. Those flames. And then they find out that he's been lying about his abstinence. <laughs> the candle goes out, which means yeah. he shagged his girlfriend when he was home. They are just disgusted by this. You lied to Buddha, is what they say. You lied to Buddha and you had sex when you were in Hong Kong, which means you now lose all your powers, according yeah. to the head of the monastery. Do you know what? Chan Hung doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he says, I don't care. Yes, I had sex um, you know, with my STDs and it's fine. I don't give a shit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this anyway. Obviously, he won't be able to do this in Thailand. He's going to have to get on a plane 
and fly to Kathmandu in Nepal. Completely unnecessary <laughs> change of location. To find a precious Buddhist relic. Flies to Kathmandu to, to find a precious Buddha, Buddhist relic. Because the monk tells him he will die too unless he finds... Oh, because he's, he's been cursed by the golden needle spell, maybe. He's decomposing, yeah. Right. And then he says, because they were twins in a past life, you know, because they've got that connection... They're physically linked. He will oh, die as well unless he can find this precious relic in Nepal. <laughs> you were paying more attention by this point <laughs> so yeah I don't know if they all just wanted a nice big holiday on this one because hardly any of this is shot in Hong Kong and it's a Hong Kong film <laughs> it mostly it's location shooting in Thailand and, and Nepal so I think it's just a nice holiday for everyone involved but he goes to Nepal now he starts dressing like um like a cockney geezer when he gets there he starts dressing like Del Boy he's wearing yeah. a, a leather jacket a flat cap and sort of aviators I, I lost all track of this. There's obviously a showdown with the alligator queen, the crocodile queen. The the crocodile inflatable comes back again and he fights that for a bit. Some sort of uh, caterpillars come out and attack him. What look like sort of full-size jelly babies, perhaps representing the three sort of apprentice wizards earlier. Uh, poodle brontosaurs I've written down as well. <laughs> I can't explain this to to anyone really. Um, it's difficult to <clears throat> explain what was happening. The yeah. only way I knew that this film had concluded is because some positive music started coming in. And I was yeah. Like, oh well, things must have turned out all right. He defeated the crocodile queen. The sun shone on the Buddha's hand, and the um, the sort of mercury tablet that he took earlier came out of his eyes. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think you've given enough information there. Yeah. I don't think uh, <laughs> I think it's possible to fully explain everything yeah. that happened. But it's basically, it's the plot of Kickboxer with added sort of black magic and Buddhism. Yeah. That's the best way to describe this. But it's like, it is some sort of drug-fueled nightmare. Yeah, if you were to make someone watch this on drugs, they would, they would be broken by it. <laughs> Completely deranged... I haven't seen that many Shaw Brothers films. I don't know if they're all like this. If they are, I'll be I'll be checking them out. But <laughs> this is this was absolutely crazy. So, what were your overall impressions of the Boxers' Omen? It was very bizarre. Um, mostly incomprehensible black magic mm. scenes over very little kickboxing. Very little back- boxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you expecting that- a, a boxing film? From the title, yes. <laughs> Boxers, I You even. fool. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be so bizarre. Yeah. Um, I felt like because it was just so incomprehensible, I just couldn't feel any way gripped to the story because I couldn't really follow yeah. why these things <clears throat> were happening. Um, it was entertaining to watch all this bizarre stuff happen, though. Yeah. That was the main... You definitely, you know... First time I saw it, definitely couldn't expect or predict anything that was going to happen. Every uh, every moment was a new uh, a new surprise and a new twist yeah. uh, of gibberish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you've got to give it. You've really got to give it a lot of points for creativity. They obviously didn't have a super high budget. The, the special effects aren't great, no. but they're very creative. Who knows what they were trying to really um, get across here? 
So the next film that we're going to be talking about is a film I'm sure many people have either seen or certainly seen in GIFs of this film. One of the more GIFable uh, films that we'll probably um, talk about on the show. It, it is The Story of Ricky, uh, a.k.a. Rikkyo, also a Hong Kong film. Uh, this one from 1991, so we've moved on. Now this film is set in 2001. <laughs> Made in 91, set in 2001. Is there any reason? I don't think so. <laughs> it might have something to do with Escape from New York. Uh, they were talking about that our prisons are now privatised, and yeah. it's a slightly dystopian film. So Escape from New York was made in 1981, but set in 1997. So they've gone for a similar, um, a similar, you know, only kind of 10 years on, 10-ish oh, yeah. years on. It was adapted from a, from a manga, um, also called uh, called Rikkyo, and it's about an indestructible guy who ends up being sent to prison for manslaughter. Much mayhem and gore follows. <laughs> so, like you say, prisons are privatized, and straight away, uh, hopefully, if people are watching this, they're watching the dubbed version because really the strength of Rikkyo, apart from the gore, is the dubbing and the hilarious American accents because these are all Chinese people in, in a Chinese film and they they have a wide variety of American accents. Some of them are cowboys, some of them are from New York. Uh, <laughs> and they're just... Everyone's got a different American accent. Clearly none of them are American and it just makes everything about 10% funnier that happens in the film. Pretty much every line is hilarious because of the dubbing. Way more hilarious. And we always talk about, you know, if you're going to watch a, a bad foreign film, try and get a dub because it, it will only make it better. Mm. But we're introduced to, to Riccio who's uh, been given 10 years for manslaughter and he sets off the metal detector when he comes into the prison and someone says, Oh... Why didn't you let them take the five bullets out of you? <laughs> and he says, because I wanted them as souvenirs. <laughs> so straight away, you get the impression that Riccio, he's a bit of a hard bastard, he's isn't tough. he? He's very tough. There's a warden, there's an assistant warden, there's four wings, and there's four wing leaders. Yeah. So this, this, this whole film is a video game. <laughs> You've got to complete each wing and defeat the, the wing leader you got to defeat the, you know, those are the end of level bosses. You've got to defeat the, you know, the penultimate boss, and then you get to the end boss, which is the warden. So straight away, I thought, oh, I wish this was a game, like an 8-bit game or a 16-bit game. It would be amazing. Um, but we're, we're introduced to a sort of a bit, bit part character who's a toy maker, and he's confronted by uh, one of the sort of mean sort of gang people who hits him in the face with a wood plane. Our first bit of gore here takes his nose clean off. <laughs> And then um, as the uh, the gangster is walking away, Riccio trips him and he falls face first onto a plank of wood with about six nails sticking out of it. And this was an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> that was the first, like, brutal part of the yeah. violence. And your first indication that almost all the gore in this was going to be happening to mannequins not real people <laughs> well well constructed mannequins but this guy just trips over and like impales his face and they start talking about Zorro a character called Zorro uh, we're going to get him uh, released from solitary confinement by bribing the guards which he does 
and he is this massive fat bloke who stomps into the showers when Ricky's taking a shower says I was given three kilograms of rice to mince you up and put you in a pie which is amazing he punches Ricky out and he goes flying towards the back of the showers right next to another guy who's just standing like ass to the camera he goes oh, oh, and then moves out of the way and they have a very brief fight where Ricky gives him quite literally a gut punch. He, he drives his fist all the way into his stomach <laughs> and rips his guts and, out. And rips his guts out, and he collapses on the floor with this massive uh, gaping wound. The Zorro guy was built up quite a bit, and it was hilarious how he just has guts ripped out instantly. Now we're introduced to the North Wing leader. Then shortly after this point, is a guy called Oscar. Um, he's got some impressive sort of triad style tattoos we we see Riccio meditating in his cell and this is where we get our first flashback there's quite a few flashbacks in this film to show what what happened to Ricky when he was younger how did he make it to prison what were his hopes and dreams as a, as a young man before he became this psychotic murdering bastard so the flashback shows you how he first learned his martial arts skills and that's with um, training with his uncle they referred to the martial arts style as Chico I just heard Chico, yeah. Chico time. He refers to uh, to Riccio as having superhuman strength since he was born, and I knew that you would one day be ready to learn the Chico style of martial arts, and now I'm going to teach you. A special energy or something. Yeah, know. so this, this results mainly in him um, busting uh, tombstones in the graveyard, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit out of order. <laughs> Like breaking people's gravestones, like what a dick! <laughs> um, he chucks a gravestone at him, and he just like punches both his arms through it, and like wears it like a stocks, which is really <laughs> funny. So it's after this that we're uh, introduced to the assistant warden, who's kind of the villain for for most of the film. He's this kind of fat guy with a hook for a hand and a glass eye. <laughs> He's like a double Bond villain. The assistant warden takes his big hook hand, stakes Ricky's hand to the table and then just starts punching him in the head. <laughs> Something that Riccio likes to do, and then he does it at least six times in this film, is when he's bleeding, he touches it, and then he tastes it, and then he kind of cracks his knuckles. That's like his... If he was in a video game, that's like his taunt. Yeah. He would do that before he did his special move. And we get a, we get a flashback to when Ricky and his girlfriend were um, playing with a remote-controlled helicopter... It's a very cheesy scene. It's lovely, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very misty and um, romantic. And then he gets a, a remote-controlled helicopter, which spells out a love letter. I think these, these flashbacks are really just to emphasise the difference between his youth when he was, you know, a happy-go-lucky guy in love and then this horrible fascist prison that he now finds <laughs> himself in. So I think they bring it back every now and then just to show up that contrast. So eventually Ricky O does sort of gain enough momentum to challenge the uh, the leader of the North Wing, uh, Oscar, in the uh, in the prison yard, where actually a lot of the action does take place in this yard, I, I guess for budget purposes. But um, he's, he's sitting on top of a massive crucifix. He's got his shirt off, as you'd expect, but he's got his tattoos out. And one of the characters says, oh, he's shown his tattoos now, he has to kill. <laughs> I was just thinking, well, we saw his tattoos earlier in the shower and he didn't kill anyone then. What's this rule that you've got to kill someone? Once You're you... obliged to murder now. <laughs> once someone sees your, your your tattoos on your back, you have to kill someone. It was, I thought, how would you ever have a shower in prison if you, you know, you have to kill someone every time you have a shower? That's impractical, I think. Uh... <laughs> running out of people to kill. <laughs> Yeah, so Oscar's been given this, like, combat knife by the assistant warden. He flicks the sheath at 
um, which sounds dodgy, but he flicks his sheath at Riccio and loads of glitter comes out and goes in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> thus blinding him for the rest of the fight. Just like in the Boxer's Omen, it all comes back around. He also cuts him right right through the uh, forearm, just underneath the elbow, thus like making his arm useless for the fight as well. So he's saying, ha, ah, are you going to fight me now? You're blind and you're, one of your arms doesn't work. Mm. But luckily, Riccio falls on a sort of a, a water manhole, busts it with his elbow, and loads of like water shoots out, so he can wash wash his eyes with it. He rips the tendons out of his arm, ties them in a knot, <laughs> and then his arm works again. So he's back to full capability. He gives Oscar a tap on the back of the head, and his eyeball flies out. <laughs> And the, and the crows start eating it. It's just, this is where it got really super over the top and extreme, as I wanted it to. Um, he commits seppuku, so he, he disembowels himself with the combat knife, and you're thinking, oh, okay, so he thinks he's going to lose, so he's just going to commit an honourable death. What we actually see is when Riccio gets close enough, he takes his own intestines out and wraps them around Riccio's neck, choking him, to which one of the uh, bystanders shouts... He's got a lot of guts. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a lovely, obvious pun there. Um, after he defeats Oscar, he then lifts up the crucifix like some sort of Kung Fu Jesus. And um, it's then we're introduced to the three other leaders of the three other wings, which are Rogan, the sort of androgynous, floaty sort of character, Tarzan, who's just a massive sort of like wrestler with a mullet, and Brandon... His special power is he can throw knitting needles at you. <laughs> They're attached to wires. And it's crap. It's not a very good power at all. I thought these three leaders were actually not as impressive as Oscar, apart from Tarzan. He basically has the ability to smush people's heads, and he demonstrates this immediately. And if there's one gift that people have seen in this film, it's probably this bit. He just comes at this guy in the yard, and he basically just claps his hands together with this guy's head in the middle, and it's like a watermelon. It just crumbles and bits <laughs> fly everywhere. So he's instantly my favourite leader, actually. But yeah, we're introduced to a, a character after this, which is my favourite character name in the film. Uh, the godson of Oscar is this lad called Alan. <laughs> Alan? <laughs> These people have the weirdest, like, English names. I know it's been dubbed for Western audiences. And Alan is um, Oscar's godson, but he's, uh, he's had his tongue cut out. But um, Riccio is still able to teach him how to play the flute by using a, a leaf. So there's a lovely bonding moment where he teaches Alan to blow a leaf. And he's um, very happy about it, and he just dances around. Yeah. Flute music that becomes <laughs> sort of non-diegetic, meaning it's not within the film. It just, yeah. It starts with him playing the flute, and then it suddenly just becomes yeah. the music. It is and it isn't, yeah. He, he starts playing a wonderful tune and then it, the tune carries on and he's jigging about not playing it so yeah. it's like some sort of milly vanilli um, situation just miming gone terribly wrong but um, yeah he does now know how to play the leaf like a flute which is a good skill in prison <laughs> but yeah obviously Alan is a bit of a weak a weak minded sort of character isn't he he's, he's called into the to the three le uh, wing leaders um, quarters and um they reveal uh, Oscar's body and his his tattoos have been skinned from him and nailed up on the wall. And he says, Riccio did this to Oscar. And I thought, well, he didn't. <laughs> we just watched it. He didn't do that. <laughs> you did that. Yeah. And Alan saw it as well. So don't don't start shit. There were witnesses. Yeah, there was loads of witnesses. <laughs> Riccio did not skin uh, Oscar's tattoos, but there you go. But they realise basically Alan's useless now without Oscar. They They don't need to 
they don't need to look after him, so they um, they skin him, or Rogan skins him. Mm. She takes off the bottom half of his face first, and then they leave him in a in a skinned, bloody pile out in the yard. Yeah, it's around this time as well that one of the major plot points is brought up that um, Alan. It's got all these leaves, and Ricky's like, where did you get those leaves? He's like, oh, just from the, the west side of the prison. And Riccio discovers, much to his fucking outrage, that they've been growing opium. Yeah. They've been growing poppies in this prison and making opium out of it. And he will not stop going on about this. Mm-hmm. This is his main issue with these people. <gasps> Worse than all the violence that's been <laughs> happening and all the mistreating of all the prisoners. Worse than, like, skinning people alive. Yeah. Worse than crucifying people. Yeah. Worse than all of this is the fact they've been growing drugs. And you know what? Drugs kill people. Drugs ruin lives. So it's like this weird public service announcement in the middle of this film where Ricky always... He's a he's a fucking maniac yeah. who kills people and punches people's heads off. Oh, he hates drugs. <laughs> he hates heroin. There's this weird morality popping up in the middle of this ludicrously violent film, but I loved it. <laughs> but <laughs> next, he has to fight Rogan. Uh, Rogan pops up and uh, starts doing some sort of um, quite effeminate kind of um, twisting and flapping about. To which he says, "Ah, oh, Rogan's kind of food is unorthodox," meaning it's just yeah. Effeminate, I think he meant. Yeah. <laughs> there was the assistant warden at this point that gets a phone call to tell him that the actual warden is returning from Hawaii the next day. So we get the big arrival of the warden. This guy's been built up for, throughout the film. He arrives and um, he brings his little sort of kid with him. He's this little like kid with a bowl haircut. He's like constantly like kicking people in the shins and going like nah 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 he's this little brat like I didn't really know why he was here but who knows the warden basically finds out that they that the opium stock has gone up in flames and he's not happy he's not happy about that but he's also not happy about the red carpet that's been laid out oh yeah (laughs) so unhappy that he demands the convict be brought before him and pokes his eye out with uh, his cane and he says couldn't you didn't you look at the red carpet so he pokes his eye out and he goes well maybe you'll see better now (laughs) he won't (laughs) doesn't make sense you'll be able to see it better with one eye now (laughs) what weird but it's to show that he's obviously just as psychotic and violent as everybody else although not as much as everyone else I wouldn't have thought he's more the sort of brains and the crime you know the um the drug baron as well as being a prison warden is the idea we then find that Riccio has been sort of put in a special jail cell uh, in an area of the prison where the warden can come talk to him and really uh, whenever anyone in authority talks to Riccio they want to know about this um, two years of his life where that's not on record oh yeah and everyone asks him what did you do in those two years what yeah. happened to you man mm. what you know what made you like this you know you must have had a really rough two years and he won't ever tell anyone basically he decides then right, well let's get Tarzan Tarzan will sort him out he's a massive bloke with a massive mullet he can sort him out and Riccio makes pretty quick work of him as well he, he punches him it, it's an uppercut and then some it's an yeah. uppercut that goes through the bottom of the jaw <laughs> and then comes out the mouth on the other end. He kind of punches through his face and then does he punch again and it goes through his sort of through his fist? They both try to punch each other at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So their fists meet because Riccio is much harder. It smashes all of his fingers off and his yeah. fingers all drop on the floor. It's funny. It's, it's fingerless gloves, mind as well. That's mm. probably why. If he did not, if he'd have had regular gloves, his fingers wouldn't have fallen off. That's mm. a lesson for us all. Then the ceiling starts coming down, but he's so strong he can hold it up 
with his with his invincible strength and he pushes up the ceiling but then the warden activates the trapdoor and he goes down once apprehended uh, what they want to do is bury Riccio alive in the prison yard again we're back to the yard again mm. limited budget but they put him in a giant pit and they tell all the convicts you're all going to bury him we're not going to bury him yeah. which I thought was quite cool they say oh, we're not going to do that so you start killing people with machine guns and say oh, you are going to do it <laughs> okay then I will you don't mean choice <laughs> <laughs> alright maybe I will but what I really liked is that every every sort of fellow convict you know because they're all getting behind him now this is the other thing they're, the rebellion is rising yeah. they're all getting behind Riccio they believe in him and that's mm. what they want to crush by making a sort of martyr out of him an example out of him but every convict has to pick up a shovel full of dirt and chuck it in the pit but every every time they do it they apologise yeah. I'm so sorry about this, Ricky. Sorry, <laughs> Ricky. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. And then the assistant warden comes and picks it up and he goes, Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he throws it all, the soil goes right in Super his face. sarcastic. It's fucking amazing. And then they give him an, a bamboo um, tube um, so that he can still breathe. And it's when he's been buried alive in this pit in the yard that we get perhaps the most um, revelatory flashback where we find out what the manslaughter was. Yeah. find out who who was killed by him and it's his girlfriend has sort of accidentally witnessed a drug deal and then been taken to a, a drug lord sort of apartment they sort of threaten her life so she runs all the way up to the top of the building <laughs> jumps out throws herself off the building <laughs> first thing you do and what what should be quite a sad moment this woman killing herself and dying is just completely rendered hilarious it's one of the things you'll probably see again in this film. She she jumps off the roof. We cut to a, a shot looking down at the street and just this mannequin flying down. <laughs> hits the road and doesn't move at all. Doesn't give. It's just no. like... Fdunk. We don't see it, but we get the impression, of course, Ricky kills this, this drug baron because his girlfriend chucked herself off the roof. I don't think it was his fault. No. He didn't do anything. She decided to go up to the roof and throw herself <laughs> yeah. off. I think uh, Riccio's whole whole uh, morality is warped. <laughs> it seemed unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> we end up back then in the yard where he's buried alive and he's still sort of meditating and thinking back about his girlfriend jumping off a roof. Then uh, Rogan flies out of a manhole and kicks a dog in half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they stick a bit of dog meat down in the uh, tube to make sure he can't breathe. Um, but yeah, he's eventually um, excavated from the soil and he's still alive. Mm. And he breaks out of the, the massive chains that have been put around him. And all the prisoners are like, yeah, he really is Jesus, really. That was the idea, wasn't it? He was yeah. sort of Jesus. He was leading this revolt. They had a massive crucifix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was being buried alive. I thought it was quite... Not even that subtly suggesting that Ricky here was like Chinese Jesus, yeah. Kung Fu Jesus. Kung Fu Jesus would have been an amazing title. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad they didn't go for that. Um, but yeah, eventually Riccio is is sort of um, trapped within loads of girders and down in another basement room. And he's being interrogated again by the warden. You will tell me what happened in these two years that we don't know what happened to you. And they put razor blades in his mouth and slap him about a bit. He's beaten repeatedly with a spanner and he gets razor blades stuck in his mouth. This is some serious torture. And the whole film really culminates in the kitchen. Um, where <laughs> throughout the film uh, they mention it a couple of times and they reference it a couple of times there's this brand new sort of meat grinder that they've got and one guy gets his arm stuck in there by the warden and he says you, know, you want more food you can eat that 
yeah. you know, suggesting he was going to feed him his own arm, which mm-hmm. is brilliant. <laughs> but this meat grinder is brought up quite a few times, and then there is a confrontation, a final confrontation between Ricky and Rogan and Brandon, the little knitting needle guy, and they have they have a good enough scrap. But then we get yeah, one of my favourite parts again with the warden. The sort of middle-aged kind of guy with uh, you know balding with glasses and wearing nice cravats and stuff. For want of a better phrase, he hulks up. He turns into like this massive ogre thing and just <laughs> goes mental. He hulks up massively. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only thing I could compare it to is maybe a sort of an uh, like a um, Chinese or Japanese sort of demon from the old kind of mythology and folklore you know art that you see that kind yeah. of demon character he looked a bit like that sort of all it was this guy wearing a massive sort of meat suit it looked like in a meat suit in preparation to be put into a meat grinder yeah <laughs> yeah and you, you you could have seen this coming from a mile off really <laughs> they, they they're polishing the meat grinder someone gets his arm put in there someone gets their face put near there so you, I think you can see what's coming and of course he picks up the warden plops him in the meat grinder, turns them all into mince. I actually thought it would have been amazing if maybe there'd been a, a maybe a post-credit sequence of everyone sitting down to eat the warden <laughs> mince. But no, we didn't get that. Instead, what we got was... Um, he holds his head up. Yeah, Riccio taking the head of the warden, coming into the yard saying, look at this, I've killed the warden. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> And he <laughs> he goes up to the prison wall and he gives it the biggest punch of the entire film. You know, all the other punches up until now have been just like taps. This one was the the massive special move. And he punches the wall and about a about a thirty foot hole crumbles in the wall. <laughs> and he just turns around to everyone and says, We can all leave now. And that's it. There you go. Riccio, the story of Ricky. We still don't really know what the story of Ricky was. Yeah. We never know what happened in those two years. They never tell you. But he's seen some shit, man. What were your overall thoughts of uh, the story of Ricky, man? Uh, I think it's great. I, I first saw this film probably about six or seven years ago, introduced to it by a friend called Rory. Rory, if you're listening, thanks. Shout out, Rory. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's got some ridiculous violence really enjoyed it's, it actually it's, it's quite the a, gore yeah. yeah it's a badly made film and the effects are bad but they go they really go for it in such a way that you can't can't not love it you know normal film someone would get punched in the face and have a black eye this film someone gets punched and their head caves in <laughs> or the top of their head flies off or uh, you know you punch someone in the gut in this film the guts come out and you strangle them and it's just like not many films kind of hit hit this level of, yeah. of uh, over the top insanity as far as the gore is concerned and that's what's made this such a cult film no, no matter how cheesy it might be yeah it's undeniably entertaining just how ridiculously over the top it is and like you said the dubbing just if you watch if you're going to watch this watch it dubbed because yeah. it's, it's worth it we should yeah we should mention both these films are available on, on YouTube Boxer's Omen you might find it under Mo M.O. Um, from 1983 you can watch that in subtitled but Story of Ricky there's a few versions of it on YouTube. There is a dubbed version if you can find that. Watch that. Two great films. Um, which which would you say you prefer out of these, Mark? Which was the most extreme, would you say, therefore better? I prefer Story of Ricky. Yeah. Boxer's Omen was bizarre, semi-incomprehensible. Yeah. 
they both push the, the, the genre of kung fu to, to to places it's never gone before or places yeah. I've never seen it go before a lot of kung fu films follow a pretty similar um, plot and, and kind of format these two films push push it in a very extreme and intense direction both very differently Boxer's Omen going for really the more sort of metaphysical um, fantasy mystical black magic kind of nightmare fuel yeah and Ricky Ogo is more for the super intense uh, graphic violence and um, and grit and exploitation and yeah I, I prefer Ricky O I think it's a a fantastic bad film it's um it's not even that badly made apart from some of the effects are a bit ropey there's a lot of dummies as long as you don't mind uh, you know characters being swapped out for dummies at the last minute I don't think you'll have a problem with the effects in Riccio at all I really wish they would have done more Riccio films I think they did do another version of Riccio in the, in the sort of 2000s um, from what I could find out but apparently it was not not really that related not really based on it they they followed up this this one with some some more like anime manga films yeah. which I haven't seen but I would love to have seen loads more films set in, set around this character and with this kind of style mm. I guess once he goes in the prison and he busts out of the prison that's probably it but I wanted more of Rikio I still want more so if you're listening <laughs> filmmakers of Hong Kong please make another Rikio film because yeah. it's brilliant And give us the two year backstory <laughs> <laughs> prequel yeah, yeah. Well, give us the actual story of Ricky. <laughs> we, we still don't know it <laughs> Um, if you liked uh, either of these films, I think I would probably, of course, recommend all the other Shaw Brothers uh, films. They made hundreds of films. They've been around for decades and decades. But I, I understand the 70s and 80s, you would get more films like The Boxers Omen, more more mental uh, kung fu films. As far as the story of Ricky, Escape from New York is kind of comparable in its dystopian prison style, not in its gore. Um, <laughs> if you want more gore like Ricky O, I would recommend um, some of the more... Later Japanese films like Tokyo Gore Police, all those sorts of films. Basically, uh, all those films where someone gets a limb cut off and loads of blood sprays everywhere and rains down from the sky. Yeah, Lots of those have been made in Japan in the last 10, 15 years, and I, I think they probably owe quite a debt to Story of Ricky, who really pioneered the splatter style in Southeast Asia. So, yeah, yeah check all of those out. And yeah, if you have enjoyed the uh, the show today, obviously go back and check out some of our other episodes. We've only done a few, but um, if you subscribe, uh, you'll get the new episodes every time they are published, which is twice a month. Uh, please give us a rating in iTunes. Uh, we are a five-star rated podcast, and if you can help us uh, carry that on, that would be brilliant. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're all over there as well. And that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics. Thank you, everybody, for listening. My name has been Ash, and I've been joined by Mark. Thanks for listening. Okay, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.